You're listening to the What The Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine to five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fab podcast, episode 66. We have a great conversation today. I had a wonderful chat with my fabulous and smart and talented friend, Tiffany Knapper. And Tiffany is one of my friends from a mastermind group that I was in in 2021. I can't believe it's been two years already since we've known each other. And I'm just so grateful for the connections that I made in that mastermind because clearly, you know, there were some women that have stuck with me and just become some of my business besties. And Tiffany is one of them. And in today's conversation, we get into a few different topics, including mindset, why it's important to surround yourself with community, whether it be in a mastermind group, from a coach, your peers. We talk about a lot of her insights with working with creative entrepreneurs and in particular women and kind of the commonalities that she sees in terms of how we tend to hold ourselves back and the shifts that she sees happening when someone is taking their business from six to seven figures or really expanding and growing and just achieving the levels of success that they want to see. And Tiffany, because she is one of my business besties, I have gotten an inside look at her business and, you know, some of the big wins that she's had with her clients and just really helping them take their businesses, like get rid of the overwhelm and fears and anxieties and really take their businesses from sometimes not earning a lot of money to six or seven figures. So it's really impressive the work that she does and she does it with such style and grace. And I personally have gotten so many great just tips and you know advice from my conversations with Tiffany as a friend and also when we kind of like sit down in a more formal setting and do sort of hot seat style and brainstorming around different parts of our businesses. And so I think that you'll find that she's a really great combination of the woo and the logistical, like the, you know, strategic business side of things. And I loved our conversation today. I think that you will too. Before we dive in, just a reminder to make sure that you are subscribed, you're following the What The Fab podcast from whatever platform it is that you like to listen through on Apple Podcasts. Just hit that little plus sign that says follow and you'll get these episodes queued up and ready to go for you each week. And if you could take a second to rate and review the podcast, I would appreciate that as well. It's what helps me grow, helps me grow the podcast, and it also helps me know what topics you're into and want to hear more of. All right, let's dive right into this episode with Tiffany. 
A Nashville-based holistic business coach, Tiffany Knapper excels in turning overwhelmed creative business owners into thriving CEOs. In 2011, she left a career in the music industry where she spearheaded campaigns for Yamaha with names like Elton John, Alicia Keys, Casual, but her entrepreneurial spirit was calling, so she walked away to launch her own PR and branding agency. 12 years later, with not one, not two, not three or four, but five six-figure self-funded ventures under her belt. Tiffany now holds the title of business coach with great pride. She founded the Upleveler Society to make underpaid and overwhelmed businesswomen a thing of the past. Through coaching and community, she helps creative women gain clarity on their numbers, evolve their leadership skills and marketing strategies, and become confident six- and seven-figure entrepreneurs. Let's welcome Tiffany to the What The Fab podcast. Hey, Tiff. So excited to have you join us today. I am thrilled to be here. Yay. So a quick little background story for listeners. Tiffany and I met in a mastermind group a little over two years ago, which is crazy. And I'm so happy that our paths crossed and we have hit it off in the mastermind group and then continued checking in on each other, our businesses, like both the professional and personal sides of our lives. And just so happy to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. Okay, so reading through your bio, I actually didn't know that you have five six-figure businesses under your belt. I knew you had your agency, your handbag line, and the up-leveler society, but what were the other two? Okay, agency, handbag line, co-working space, a short-term Airbnb property for 10 years, and now the up-leveler society. Okay, I love it. Multifaceted entrepreneur over here. Yes, all the things. Amazing. And so you started the Up Leveler Society in 2020. So what was the inspiration for that? And also, did you launch during the pandemic or before the pandemic? Was that like part of the inspiration, like that kind of burnout and fatigue everybody was feeling just grinding away at home? Yeah, I'm a COVID silver lining story because I had been kind of ignoring this calling to step up and be a business coach. I had two previous business coaches of my own tell me over and over again, Tiffany, you should be a business coach. And I was like, no, no, like that's crazy. And then COVID happened and I am a co-founder of a co-working space in Nashville, Tennessee. And the founder of that, she called me up and she was like, hey, I just opened the doors, as you know, and we have to shut down. Would you lead some sort of like an online workshop? And now I hear that and we're like, oh gosh, online workshops, been there, done that. But in 2020 of March, that was not a concept I was very familiar with and not something I'd ever done. I had led lots of Zoom calls with clients, but never a workshop. So I was just like, sure, but on what? Because PR doesn't seem very relevant right now for these people. I was like, well, I guess I could teach them how to make sure that their business is set up for success on the back end. Like, what are we doing with this time when we thought it was going to be like two weeks of closed doors and it ended up being much more than that. But how do we use this time wisely? I called it the power through, right? How do we power through these two weeks? And it was my first time officially wearing the hat of coach and consultant for all these women. And I just, from there, I never looked back. That's incredible. I love a good COVID silver lining story. Yep. (laughs) There's a few of them. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure that a lot of your clients, when they first come to you, they're feeling overwhelmed, maybe burnt out. And 
I know from watching you and hearing about your success stories with your clients that a lot of the work you do is helping to bring these creative professionals from a place of burnout to a place of like a sustainable, successful business. So when a business owner is feeling overwhelmed and on that edge of burnout, what advice do you have for them? Well, don't give up because <laughs> that's can be tempting. And it's be like, you did all this work and then you get to the point and you're like, I feel like I can't get out of this. I feel like I'm drowning in quicksand. And I always say, don't give up. This is a pivotal moment. And it is the moment that's going to make or break you, right? Lots of people will give up, but don't give up. As long as you've got a product that people want, product, service, what have you, that people want, and you're passionate about what you're doing, there is a better way. There's a way out. Oftentimes when I see someone in my team, internally, we joke, we do a lot of onboarding forms where we're asking people to give us information. And the word we hear on almost every single application and form is overwhelm. I feel overwhelmed. I feel overwhelmed. So it's almost become a little bit of a joke inside our team. Oh, let's guess. Let me guess. Did they say they feel overwhelmed? Which we're not making light of the situation. It's just common. It's really common. And so oftentimes it's because you're not actually leading. You're still doing too much. You're still deep in the trenches. Maybe you're being a little bit of a perfectionist. So some leadership skills usually are one of the first things we dive into. And then obviously the numbers, like what are the numbers telling us? Are we undercharging? Are we trying to do too much? Are we creating 15,000 different packages rather than just like holding the line and saying, this is what I do and this is what I offer? I mean, there's There's a lot of things that go into that overwhelm and burnout, but I would say those are two of the top ones that I notice over and over again. Mm, Yeah, I relate to that a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been there too. Everything I teach is, most of it is from personal experience. (laughs) Yeah. And I see you talking about sustainable success on your Instagram a lot. What does that mean to you? It means success that we can continue to run this business for five years, for 10 years, for 50 years, and never hit burnout. Meaning the business will continue to make money. We'll still make the income that we want to make. Our team will get paid what they need to get paid. And the business will still have a very healthy profit margin. And it's wild to me. And I guess it's not that surprising. I work with primarily what I would call a small business, anywhere from zero to 20 employees typically is kind of my sweet spot. So we're dealing with some pretty big numbers sometimes, seven figures, but yet we're still operating as if we're a startup oftentimes, right? Because it's just what they know. So sustainability, there comes a point, you know this, right? We can hustle our way to a certain point. And then there comes a point where that's no longer going to work. Like it just, the math doesn't math anymore. It doesn't work. And then you have to step up and you have to say, okay, In order to get to the next level, which I call sustainable success, we're probably going to need to reshuffle the internal organization. We might need to make a hire. We might need to make a fire. We might need to upgrade our packages or increase our pricing. We might lose a few clients. Like there's all these uncomfortable things that are probably going to happen as we progress up that mountain. And that's hard. That's just hard. I always say I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There's going to be hard moments, but that's what sets you apart. And that is what helps you get to that sustainable success level. That's so insightful. And I can think of like very specific kind of examples growing my business where those decisions had to be made. Are there commonalities that you see when it comes to women holding themselves back from those steps? Yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately, I'm going to speak in general terms here, but by and large, women aren't taught how to be great leaders at an early age. 
And so we can be a little bit behind the eight ball there. Doesn't mean we're not capable, just means it's not something that was ingrained upon us or taught to us. And so learning how to be a really good leader and what that looks like and your definition of what feels like a good leader, not necessarily what you've seen on television or even what you've experienced. I came from the corporate world. I definitely did not want to be that same type of leader. I knew what strong suits I wanted to take from all of my experiences. And I also knew how I wanted to be different. So teaching women how to be a better leader is something that I see come up over and over again. And honestly, once you become that really strong, confident leader, everything else kind of starts to fall into place in a weird way, not in a weird way, in a beautiful way. But I was telling someone last night over coffee, I was like, your business will thrive when you're thriving. I was like, write that down. <laughs> your business will thrive when you're thriving. But like, as long as you're resentful of your team and you're still picking up all the pieces and doing all the things, you're not thriving and the business isn't thriving. So really like owning the leadership role of boss and CEO is really important. That is so good. And do you have any advice? Because when I hear that, I'm like, okay, strong leader, got it. But then I'm also like, all my team, they're all contractors. Like, can I still be a strong leader for my team when they're all contractors? And how do I approach that? 1000%. My team is all contractors now too. And that was a conscious decision I made in 2016 or something like that. I was like, I've put myself in a box I never wanted to be in. I'm shutting it down. We're going contract. So absolutely, you can be a great leader as a contractor. I always say this, when you're working with contractors, of course, there's a little bit of a different playing field, right? I can't control your schedule. It's illegal. There's certain things I can't ask you to do. However, when I'm talking about being a good leader, those qualities matter no matter what. So did I give you clear expectations? Have I set you up for success? Am I available to answer your questions and or have I empowered you to know how to think like me or make smarter decisions than I would make? All of those things I can do, no matter if you're in-house or out-house, right? doesn't matter. The only thing I say is oftentimes when we're working with contractors, sometimes they've never had a leader that's a good leader, right? So you might be asking them to do things that are unfamiliar to them, but don't let it hold you back. Like I had a VA one time and I was like really trying to get her to like use my systems and use my systems. And I was like, look, I know you probably haven't had to use systems with some of your other clients, but this is my requirement. And if it's not good for you, it's not good for you. But these are my requirements, right? And I'm not just asking you to be a doer. I need you to like show me where we're moving the needle and give me metrics and reports. And she was not used to that. But I fully believed if she was open and receptive and on board and willing to do these things that I was going to, when we did part ways, because obviously contractor, it's never forever, right? I felt confident that I was going to be sending her off as a stronger version of whatever she was doing, because I knew she'd take everything I taught her as far as our systems goes and the metrics I want her to report on. And anybody else that hired her would be lucky to have that information. That sounds kind of boastful, but it's true. Like sometimes we're not taught certain things. And so when you decide to become that better leader, there might be people who are not familiar with that, but don't let it stop you. Hmm. I love that. 
If you love to travel, which if you follow me on Instagram, you probably do. And if you want to travel for free, this is for you. Listen up. If you do not have the American Express gold card, you're doing it wrong. It is the best credit card for racking up points to book travel. Like 10 years ago, the Chase Sapphire Reserve cards were known for being the best credit cards for travel. And that's what I had been using forever until I recently heard the points guy on a podcast talking about how the Amex Gold is now the gold standard for a travel card. Reason being, the Amex Gold gives you 4x points on dining and here's the kicker on groceries. What? Groceries have gotten so effing expensive. So to be able to get four points on every dollar I spend on groceries is amazing. And your grocery deliveries from Amazon Fresh or Whole Foods counts. Hallelujah. You know I wouldn't do you dirty like that and make you go into a grocery store because we are efficiency queens over here who get our groceries delivered. With my previous Chase Sapphire Reserve, I was only getting 3x points on travel and dining and just the standard one-to-one points for groceries. So the Amex Gold was a no-brainer for me. I'm so excited because I have an incredible referral bonus for you guys. When you sign up for the American Express Gold Card with my referral link, you'll get 90,000 bonus points. 90,000 points is a lot of points, you guys. I used mine to book a round-trip ticket to the Maldives last year, which would have cost me thousands of dollars. The referral link will be in the show notes, or you can just head to whatthefab.com slash Amex. That's A-M-A-Z-N-M-A-R-Y-E-X. Now, I do want to say this is only a no-brainer way to rack up points if you are paying your credit card bill off in full each and every month. That is how you come out ahead in the credit card game. The moment you start only partially paying off your credit card bills and getting charged those high interest rates, it is no longer a winning deal for you as the consumer. And since I'm all about financial transparency and being your business bestie, I just wanted to call this out. So if you're spending within your means, paying your credit card bill in full each month, then you're going to be living your best life, racking up the travel points and booking expensive flights and hotels with those points for free. Like I said, the link to sign up and get those 90,000 bonus points is in the show notes, or you can just head to whatthefab.com slash Amex. That's A-M-A-Z-N-M-A-R-Y-E-X. That's whatthefab.com slash Amex to get those 90,000 bonus points and book your next international flight or bougie hotel for free. Happy traveling. So at the beginning of this episode, I mentioned how we met in a mastermind group and you've become a part of my like core network. What type of network do you think business owners should really make sure that they have around them? Like who do they need in their corner? And then in contrast, who do they maybe not need to have in their ear? Well, I mean, I always reference Brene Brown. Like if they're not in the ring, we don't really care what their opinion is. If you're not with that quote, you can Google it. But if they're not in the ring fighting, also getting their arse kicked, then we don't really care what they have to say. So I think that's pretty simple. You need two types of people around you at all times. You need someone who's a little bit further ahead than you. And then you need someone who's in the ring with you, like going through the same journey and battles with you. Because as you know, like once you enter into entrepreneurship, and I'm almost 12 years in, once you enter into this, your conversations are just going to be different. The things you're worried about, the things you're thinking about at night are going to be different from your friends who have maybe a corporate job or nine to five. 
not better, different, to be clear. <laughs> so it's really important that you have people around you who are going through the same thing so that you don't feel like you're on an island and you have no one to talk to and no one to support you and lift you up and encourage you and celebrate with you and all of those things. So people who are alongside you, which is basically what you and I have, right? Through the mastermind, we got this beautiful group of women and we're all like in the ring together. And then I always try to have someone that's a mentor or a coach that's really a few steps ahead of me that can look at me and what I've got going on and say, Tiffany, I think you should go this way, or I think you've got an empty lane over to your left or whatever it might be. I love that. Okay. So you kind of touched a little bit on commonalities and things that you see holding women back from up-leveling their business. But I have kind of a specific question for you. And it's a little bit selfish because I just really just want your advice on this. So (laughs) in your experience and from your observations, once someone reaches that like six figures, can you pinpoint any commonality among the women you work with who go from six to seven figures? Like, is it mindset? Is it the way that they've grown their team or support? Is it the amount of revenue streams they have? Like basically, Tiffany, what's the secret sauce? How can I take my business from six to seven figures? Okay, secret sauce. Of course, I mean, I have to give a disclaimer. There's not one secret sauce or we'd all be billionaires, right? But (laughs) do I notice a common theme? Yes. And it is a little bit of a mindset theme. I would say it is the absolute steadfast belief that it's possible. Because it's possible for all of us, but we get in our own way. We hold ourselves back unbeknownst to ourselves, right? I'm actually about to give a little lunch in there that is about that. Like, how are you accidentally working hard or not smarter? Because we all do it. We don't know what we don't know, right? So it's this like undeniable resilience. I think about Dolly Parton a lot because she was kind of notorious. If you watch her old interviews, she was an Oprah, same way, like, I'll be successful, period. It never dawned on them. They've said it over and over again in interviews from like way back in the archives. It never dawned on them that they wouldn't be successful. And if you look at a lot of famous celebrities, actors, and musicians, and I I interviewed a lot of musicians in my 10 years in the music industry, and that was a resolve I noticed over and over again. The people that really made it, the Elton Johns, the Alicia Keys, the Josh Grobins, the John Ludd, like all of those people did not let no hold them back. And that's a superpower because gosh, it's hard to hear no, right? So if I had to pinpoint it to one thing, I would say that's it. I also, of course, believe your systems and your team matter, but believing matters more than anything. That makes so much sense because if you've gotten to that six-figure level and you're kind of growing it and getting into the multi-six-figure range, like you probably have some pretty good systems that you've gotten in place. You probably have some good support. So then to go from two or 300,000 to seven figures, like that's a bigger jump. It, It kind of feels like this quantum leap that requires something other than just really efficient systems and like a good team. But also when you're going from six figures to seven, clearly you have a good XYZ, whatever you're selling, product or service. If you're making multiple six figures, somebody wants what you're putting out there, which is great. But when you start making that jump, as you mentioned, that quantum leap to seven figures, it can start to feel a little scary. It starts to feel a little riskier even though technically it might not really be that much riskier, but every little move you make at that point in time, it can start to feel a little heavier. The stakes feel higher. Yeah. I've got a team relying on me. I've got people whose salaries depend on this, or if this doesn't work, I'm now known for this. So it's going to be more of a public shame. I use air quotes because it's like, 
it's not like failure is part of your journey, but it can feel that way. So that's where that like unabashed boldness has to come into play that you say, I believe in this. I believe in me. I believe in this team. I believe in this product. And I'm going to keep taking risk after risk after risk to get us to what I know will get us to that seven figure mark. You and I recently had a conversation just a few days ago when we were checking in and you gave me some really good advice, but we were talking about a recent upper limit that I had hit. And I did a whole podcast episode about this, but my site surpassed 300,000 page views in a month. It actually, I just looked at April, it was 340,000. And I was very excited, but it also immediately triggered what I now know is an upper limit. And so it's this concept that was coined by Gay Hendricks, who's a psychologist and author. And it's basically this idea that when we hit a certain new level of success, whatever that metric is, financial, for me, it was the page views, it could be a relationship that's going really well, a job promotion, we will subconsciously kind of self-sabotage to kind of like knock ourselves back down a peg, which sounds crazy. But then after you kind of become aware of this concept, you can absolutely, everyone can pinpoint like, oh yeah, like I, you know, had this opportunity, but I said no, because I thought I was too busy or like this wonderful thing happened. And then I picked a fight with my partner just to kind of like bring myself back down because It sounds crazy, but your comfort zone is not constantly growing and constantly receiving this joy and success. And so I noticed that this was happening. I was having all of these negative thoughts and fears and anxieties when I saw that 300,000 number. And so, of course, I went to my business besties and I was like, give me all of the advice. Like, how do I deal with this? You know, I'm journaling, I'm meditating. And you gave me some really great advice just last week. And I'd love for you to share it. You talked about the, this is not a pipe. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Which is now hanging in my downstairs guest half bath. And I'm so thrilled because every time I walk in, I can think about it and remember. Yes, this is not a pipe. If you're not familiar, Google it. It's an old painting and I should probably know the painter's name, but I don't. And it says it in French. Ceci n'est pas une pipe. This is not a pipe. And I was reading a mindset book that brought this up about a week before Elise and I had that conversation. And it struck me like a ton of bricks. I was just like, oh, wow, this is such a great analogy and just something that I knew immediately. I immediately went on Society6, searched for it, placed the order, knew where I was going to put it in my house because our minds are so powerful and also not always right. (laughs) And that's really what this is not a pipe is all about. So it's a painting of a pipe and it says, this is not a pipe. And everybody was scratching their heads. They were like, what do you mean? This isn't a pipe. It's definitely a pipe. And the painter was like, it's a picture of a pipe. It's not a pipe right? And it's the same with the stories we tell ourselves. Like just because we're telling ourselves the story doesn't mean the story is true. And that's really what that was all about. So I was telling you like 300,000, just because it sounds like a lot right now. And that's a story you've told yourself that's like going to be hard to surpass. It's not a pipe. It's just a story you've made up and it's not necessarily true. So. Oh, so good. I had chills. Like that is the truth of it. The limit does not exist. Like you set these limits in your mind, but like the limits aren't real. This is not a pipe. And it reminds me of something that it's going to sound not earth shattering when I say it out loud, but (laughs) at the time it felt like a revelation. 
something I realized in our mastermind group, I think we were doing like hot seats or something, but I just kind of looked around at all of the amazing women in the group. And, you know, you get very like intimate and personal, like everybody's sharing wins and failures and anxieties and fears. And I had this realization where it was like, whatever you believe, like if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you sure as shit can't. And it's really, like I said, it doesn't sound earth shattering when you say it out loud, but I was looking around at all these amazing women and everyone was successful in their own way, but there were some that had certain like fears and hangups and like just kind of like inner confidence that they were working on. And I'm like, well, from an outsider's perspective, like you've got it all going on. Like you can totally do this. I don't know why you're doubting yourself. And yeah, it really got me to think a little bit more about like the woo side of things and mindset and just how important that is because it's not just meditating to calm your mind or whatever. It's like expanding your mind and your possibilities. Yeah, exactly. That's probably my favorite part about being a business coach is just that, like how clearly I get to have those moments all the time. Like I can identify with the story you're telling yourself. I hear you and I understand that this is a story you're telling yourself. I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, so I'm not going to go deeper on that journey that's for you to, you know, meet with a professional on because your traumas, even traumas with a little T, right? Your story, what got you here, everything leading up to your life to this point, you're looking at your world through a lens that's only yours. I can't look through that lens for you. Sometimes I wish I could. I just can't. So I can hear you and then I can say, I hear you. And then it's my job to just question it. And question it so much that eventually you question it too. And when you start to question it, that's when everything changes. When you start to believe, that's when everything changes, right? So that's the beauty to go back to like, who do you need to have in your corner? Like, that's why it's so important that you have people in your corner who will call you out, but also really like cheer you on in ways that maybe your significant other or your parent or your sibling just can't do because they're going to be concerned about your safety again, quote unquote, like they're going to want to make sure that you're not hurting, you're not struggling, nothing's hard. And that's just not part of the journey of growing a six or seven figure business. There's going to be times that are hard. There's going to be times when it feels like, oh, that kind of hurt. And it doesn't mean you should quit. It really just means you probably need someone if it can't be yourself in your ear, reminding you what's inside you, what you're capable of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, since our conversation last week, I think I mentioned this to you when I was chatting with you girls, but I took my Google Analytics dashboard and I photoshopped it to say, this is just for myself, obviously, I'm not like sharing it out externally, but I photoshopped it to say that there were a half a million page views in the last month. And then I was like, fuck it, let's do a second one. And I did one that said a million page views in the last month. And so I've been looking at it every morning and it's only been a few days. And I'm already like, now when I look at the real numbers, the 340 last month, I'm like, yeah, that's accurate. That seems right. That's the way it should be. And it's just really interesting how the mind and the subconscious mind works and like how you can kind of trick it a little bit. And so I would encourage people to think of like, what is a block that you're facing an upper limit you're facing? And how can you 
push the boundaries of that. My next step is I'm going to take my dashboards for my Mediavine ad revenue and my LTK affiliate commission revenue. And I'm going to Photoshop those and I'm going to like envision and look at it and feel how like based on, you know, my current numbers, if I were to extrapolate that to a million page views, how much revenue each of those streams would be bringing in each month, which I did a quick calculation. I looked at my calculator. I was like, holy shit. Like, oh my, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to Photoshop it and look at it every day and feel what that would feel like for that to be my revenue every month. Yeah, you just hit the nail on the head too. Like we'd be remiss if we didn't mention what Renee brought up in our conversation, which is that it's so important that you not only look at it, but you also feel it and feel positively about it. And I also lead about once a year, actually, I lead a vision board workshop. And I was just on the news talking about vision boarding. And one of the questions that the reporter asked me was like, talking about that, like, why, like, what's this? And I was like, well, you know, everyone thinks it's woo woo, but there's a lot of science behind it. And I was explaining that what you just said, like our mind isn't always right, but we're the only one listening to it. But when we desensitize ourselves by looking at something, let's say I decided I wanted this happened to me. So I'll use it as an example. There was a certain type of house style of house that I really wanted to live in. And in 2017, I put it on my vision board. I also put this woman on my vision board who ended up becoming my coach and one of my best friends. I'm going to visit her in Oregon soon. So it's really powerful, but you put these things on your vision board and you look at it. And the key is that you look at it and you say to yourself, yeah, that feels right. That feels like my life. That feels good, right? Like, And maybe you even take it a step further and you start to think, what are the steps I would need to do to make that a reality? And that's why it's so powerful. It's more than just making a pretty board or even putting numbers on something that we look at. It's like we're shortening the gap between that feeling unrealistic and unreachable and unattainable to feeling like, oh, that's my reality. And once we get our mind around that, once we say that's my reality, we're quick to move into action to support that. You're already doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a big leap when I Photoshop those numbers to look at for the revenue because I already felt like, Whoa, that's like kind of a sucker punch, like seeing when I did that, you know, on my calculator. But I want that to be my reality. So I, that's the next step. The other thing that I've been thinking about lately and doing is like, this might sound kind of silly, but there are certain like minor inconveniences that I put up with because I don't want to take the time or the money to fix it, even though I could. And so what I've been thinking lately is, would a seven-figure blogger do XYZ? Would a seven-figure blogger put up with XYZ? So here's a really specific, again, silly example. I have not paid for Spotify premium because I'm like, just on principle, I'm like, it's free. I don't need to do this. And they they turn the ads up so freaking loud, like compared to the music. It's so annoying. So the other day I'm like listening to relaxing music. I'm making my coffee and then some obnoxious ad just like blasts itself in my ear. And I was like, would a seven-figure blogger not pay $10 a month and listen to these fucking ads? No. And then the hilarious part was when I made the decision, like, oh my God, just upgrade to premium. There was an option because my husband is already premium. It's like an extra $3 a month for me. Yeah, I know. I was going to tell you that. I'm like, <laughs> you have a short account, right? It's not very expensive. Yeah. So for years, I've been avoiding it because I didn't want to pay apparently $3 a month. Like, just little things like that that I'm like, okay we don't need to put up with this like 
because of what? Like to save $10 a month or $3 a month? Like, would a seven-figure blogger do that? No. And I want to be a seven-figure blogger. So let's like step it up a little. Yeah, that's hilarious and really good. And also just a good exercise for anyone listening. It's like, what are you doing right now? Because you've been on autopilot or you've been stubborn that you could actually let go of or have someone else do for you or upgrade so you're not having to be inconvenienced. Like it's a good little exercise. Yeah. Now I'm like treating myself to a bunch of different things. So like I have to do it within my budget, but also like, yeah, there are certain things that we can step it up a bit here and just like embody that. Yeah. 100%. I love that. So over here on the What the Fab podcast, we are efficiency freaks. And you recently shared a post on your Instagram about how you plan your work week. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about what that looks like and what some of your daily business essentials are? Yeah, absolutely. I'm in a season in my life right now where the team is growing. So this is my work week right now. As of right now, it changes and I I give myself permission to let that change. But this is really how I've been structuring my work week for probably the last year and it's worked really well. So Mondays and Fridays, no coaching. Mondays are typically, if it's a meeting, it's more of like a team meeting or a potential client meeting, something like that. And then it's my marketing. Monday, meeting and marketing. I love alliterations. Then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is when I'm actually working with my clients or leading my Up Leveler Society membership group. So those are my coaching days. And then Fridays, again, no coaching. I have a team meeting in the morning on Fridays. I don't like Monday meetings. <laughs> so we do team meetings on Fridays at the end of the week. And then my Friday afternoon is my free time. Sometimes that in different seasons, that might look like a bunch of what I call CEO work. Like you and I were chatting beforehand, like I got to do a lot of back end cleanup, some systems, some website stuff, like just kind of stuff that's required for me to make sure that the team is still able to, to thrive and everything is still optimal. Sometimes it looks like, you know, I'm feeling creative and I'm creating something brand new, maybe a webinar, maybe I'm recording something for Instagram, but probably not. And then sometimes it's just, I check out early on a Friday, right? Like all my major tasks are done. Do I still have things that could be done? Yeah. But am I exhausted? Yeah. So three o'clock I'm done. And that's really the structure I've been doing for about a year and it works really, really well. I also don't take meetings after three o'clock ever. So my meeting window, even on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is nine to three. And that's just because I know that after three o'clock, I'm not my best. (laughs) So I try to, you know, if I have coaching calls, it's going to be in the morning and then maybe in the early afternoon. And then I'm, I'm done with coaching for the day. And have you like structured your week in different ways before? Like, how did you figure out that this was the best structure for you? Well, I mean, there's seasons in my life where I'll have a full Friday will be like a full day off. And honestly, the reason why I do it the way I do it now with my team meetings on a Friday is because if I decide I want to go somewhere for the weekend, for a long weekend, and I'm not working on a Friday, I can push my team meeting. We can all just dump it in Slack and that's okay. And nothing has to be shuffled from a client perspective. So honestly, that is from years and years and years of recognizing like, how do I give myself that freedom, which was the whole reason why I became an entrepreneur. And most people out there, when I poll, when we talk about this, why did you become an entrepreneur? Freedom, time freedom, flexibility, freedom, monetary freedom, right? So giving myself that Friday with very little on it. And so therefore it's really easy for me to turn that Friday into a free day or whatever I want to do. That just came from trial and error and realizing that that feels good to me. 
And even the coaching really, it just came from trial and error and realizing like Tuesday through Thursday feels good to me. And and again, giving myself that flexibility of like Mondays and Fridays, if if I wanted to take a Friday through a Monday, I I can, right? And it doesn't affect my clients. So just figuring out what feels good to you, I think is so important. And then even the daytime structure, again, I just know I'm a morning person. I always have been. So my most important tasks or my tasks that I know are going to require the most amount of brain power in the morning, right? And then the afternoon is going to be stuff that's a little bit maybe more remedial, you know, just like tasks I can knock out without having to like fire on all cylinders. But it's just been there. And it has definitely changed over the years. And like I said, I've been doing this for about a year and it feels really good. And, you know, I make exceptions, of course. And this Monday, for example, I actually had a coaching client on a Monday morning, but it was a reschedule. And that's the other beauty about when you open up your calendar, I was just talking to a client about this. I was like, when we give yourself those large chunks of time that you're not accessible to anyone else, when you do inevitably have something that needs to get rescheduled or pushed, now you're not like, you know, it's not like a giant jigsaw puzzle to fit them in. You've got, I've got my Mondays and my Fridays. Worst case scenario, I know I've got a Monday or a Friday that I can squeeze you in and we can make this work. So that just has felt really good to me. Yeah. And I love your point too about like a lot of times, you know, as entrepreneurs, one of the things that's enticing about it is the idea of having like freedom and flexibility. But then I think most business owners find that if they have left a corporate job and they are running their business full time, a lot of times they actually are working more when they're running their own business because it's your baby and like it's all, you know, the buck stops with you. Like you just feel like the more you can work and the more you can produce, the more revenue you can bring in. So it is really important to kind of like stop, take a beat and remind yourself that like the 40 hour work week is archaic and it doesn't have to be that way if you are running your own business. So like don't hold yourself to this specific schedule that was invented during the industrial revolution. <laughs> Thank you. Say it again. It's so true. It's just so common. I mean, I did it too. And so it's so common that we say we want the flexibility and then we start a business. And then before you know it, we're back in that eight to five or nine to five or nine to six or, you know, nine to nine, whatever. Like, and then you're like, wait, says who that I have to work these hours. So if you're a night owl, by all means, start your day at noon and work till eight. I don't care. Like, but giving yourself that permission and not judging yourself is so important. And I'm not sitting here trying to say it's easy because I do know that sometimes you feel like people are judging you, but I would just really encourage you to shut out the outside world, be honest with yourself. When do you want to be working? What hours are you at your best? What hours do you want to be available to maybe your family or what have you in your life? Right. And then build a schedule around it. Like that's the beauty of this. That's the beauty of this. Exactly. I always tell people like, think about the life that you want to design and then design your business to support that life rather than chasing after. Like there are so many ways that we can earn money online and as creative entrepreneurs. And usually creative entrepreneurs have, you know, several different talents or services that they can offer, but do they all support the greater vision? Which ones support the lifestyle and the the schedule and the location freedom or whatever it is that you see as like the greater vision. Yeah. And that's so important to think about even in the early stages. And that's really one of the biggest mistakes I think I made early on when I did have four businesses at one time was I 
accidentally created a situation where I was like, once again, felt like I was stuck. I was stuck at this desk. I felt very responsible for being the first person to the office and the last person to leave because I yeah, had a little bit of PTSD, if you will, from corporate world that I'd come from. And I just, you know, wanted to be a good boss and on all these things. And I, I really made myself pretty miserable. And I remember one day with my first business boss being like, you know, he's like, why are you here at seven 30 in the morning? And why are you still here at seven o'clock at night? And I was just like, I don't know. It's just, I feel so responsible. I want to set a good example. I don't want them to think they're not working as hard as I, I was working like all this baloney that I had fed myself that I was eating. And I, I really had to like do the work to unravel that belief system and get really comfortable with things looking differently, but still being okay. And still being something I could be proud of and being something that I didn't have to explain to anyone. But it's not always easy, especially if you do come from a world where even if you just came out of school, at school, we're typically, you know, we have to be there by 8am and maybe we're done by three, but like, we're working in this framework that someone else has set for us. So it might be the first time you've ever gotten to set your own parameters. So yeah, give yourself some grace. Yeah. And that idea of unraveling certain beliefs actually leads me very nicely to my next question, which is around, I mean, we talk about lessons that we have to learn as we are growing a business and, you know, learning from mistakes, but are there any lessons that you've had to kind of unlearn? Yes. 1000%. The first one that comes to my mind and probably always will, I had to unlearn this notion that I'm not good at numbers, that I'm not good at math. Probably because I'm a creative and I came up as a child, like loved to write, always loved to write, loved to dance, loved to paint, loved to draw, like all the creative things. That was me. And I was good at math. You know, I made A's and B's in all of my math classes, but I didn't love it. And that was pretty clear. Did I like algebra and geometry? Heck no. But I was always an A student. So I, I got through it, but it didn't come naturally to me. Whereas writing was a natural thing that I just enjoyed doing. So by the time I became an entrepreneur, I really had bought into this notion that I wasn't good at numbers. And what resulted was I didn't trust myself. I was kind of putting my head in the sand oftentimes. And, and I had some spreadsheets, but it was all kind of loose and just so unorganized. And that was all because I, I was so scared that I wasn't capable. I was so scared of what I was going to see. I was so scared that there's no way I could be a good entrepreneur. There's no way I could be a good business person. Like I'm not even good at numbers. And this was all a story I had told myself. And I had to do a lot, a lot, a lot of work unpacking that. And, you know, I call it your money mindset, like working on my money mindset, working on the subconscious beliefs I had around money. Was it hard to make? Was I going to be irresponsible? Like, what were these stories that I had bought into? Were people who made a lot of money bad people? Like, what did I really believe subconsciously? And then I had to start ticking away at that. And I joke and I, you know, I have a Cheeto story where I started talking about money as if it was Cheetos because Cheetos are just silly. Like they're bright orange and ridiculous, right? So I had a friend who got on board with me with this whole notion and we would text each other about like, did you get some Cheetos today? You know, because it just sounded like, sometimes it feels heavy. Like, did you make money today? That's a heavy, con like, were you asking me that? But like, did you get some Cheetos? It's just light. We were bringing levity to a, a heavy conversation. And, and that stuck with me. And we ended up sending each other Cheetos in the mail. And it became this whole thing of like, Cheetos are everywhere. They're at the grocery store. They're at convenience store. They're at 7-Eleven. Like, so 
I had to work on tricking my mind until I eventually just really did wake up one day and I was like, dang, I really do believe it's easy to make money now for the first time in my life. And it changed everything for me. But I had to unlearn that. I had to unlearn that it was hard to make money. And I had to unlearn that I was bad at math. Mm. When you started talking about money, I was about to be like, tell the Cheeto story. Because I don't know if you remember it. You told me that like the first time we met at the first mastermind get together. And yeah, like Cheetos are everywhere. If you if you need more Cheetos, you just go get more Cheetos. And like, I was like, oh my God, I love that. It's so ridiculous. And it was so funny because you'll appreciate this. But at one point in time, this was probably 2017, I was doing some influencer work. And I guess I had posted a few times about the Cheeto theory. And I showed up in this thing of like trending for Cheetos, Tiffany Napper. I was like, what the heck? I'm like, I missed all of my yoga and matcha. It was like, I'm sure people were very confused. I was like, it's not what you think, guys. The epitome of health and wellness. (laughs) But still to this day, I love that I can walk into any store, see a bag of Cheetos, and immediately my mind goes, easy, easy to make, easy to make more money. I did the same thing in my wallet, and I didn't make this up. This comes from The Secret, but she talks about this in that book of when you're getting paid or when you're paying a cashier, for example, or any situation in which you're exchanging money to take the time to face all of your dollar bills in the same direction. And as you're doing that, you're giving your gratitude for the money and your bill. I'm so grateful I'm able to pay for this X, Y, Z. I'm so grateful I can buy this cup of coffee today. You know, I'm so grateful I can give this person this money in exchange for X, Y, Z. It's just a practice, but because you're having to be so intentional and putting all the bills or whatever in the same direction, it's just a constant reminder. So now every time I open my wallet, I immediately go to gratitude, whether I'm paying or receiving doesn't matter. So that's really powerful too. Yeah, I agree. You told me that one too. And I do now I organize my bills. I also do it just because it's satisfying, but I do it in like ascending order and I face the bills a certain way. And then, yeah, I love the gratitude thing. And I also, sometimes it sucks when like your car breaks down, you have a fat bill or like it's time to pay your taxes. And I always try to default to, I'm so grateful that I can pay this large bill And it's not going to affect my life in any way negatively. I'm so grateful I'm able to pay these taxes. I had my car towed and had, oh my God, Tiffany, I'm like about to throw up even just like thinking about it. It was towed while I was out of the country. And so every day was like a couple hundred bucks. So to get it back was a thousand dollars. And I wanted to cry But I was like, I'm so grateful that I can pay that and get my car back. Like, fucking sucks. (laughs) I'd really rather not. But I'm really grateful that I am able to do that. So yeah, the gratitude thing I think is huge. Yeah, agreed. This episode is brought to you by Flowdesk. Flowdesk is an incredible email marketing service provider, and they are the platform that I use for my email campaigns for What the Fab. The platform is so intuitive and easy to use. It's very drag and drop. And best of all, it's aesthetic AF. The templates are beautiful, and you can easily add your own brand colors to it to make sure that your emails look and feel like you. I used to use MailChimp back in the day, but after trying Flowdesk out about a year ago, I was in love and I know you will be too. You can give Flowdesk a try for 30 days free. And if you want to keep them, which I know you will, you can use my referral link to lock in a 50% off price at $19 a month and lock that in forever. You can get this offer and try it for free at whatthefab.com slash Flowdesk. And that is spelled F-L-O-D-E-S-K. 
That's whatthefab.com slash flowdesk. I can't wait to see what stunning emails you create. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Well, Tiffany, to wrap things up. Okay, so for listeners, when I have a guest on the podcast, I have like an intake form, I have them fill out. And there's a question that's like, what is something that people would be surprised to know about you? And I was so happy with your response, because I was like, I really want to talk about Coyote Ugly. (laughs) I was like, give you two, but I already knew which one you were going to pick. We already know. Okay. So Tiffany had a pet pig. Like that was one, but the other one (laughs) that everybody wants to hear about was how you worked at Coyote Ugly. What was that experience like? It was amazing. And Lil really was probably my very first mentor. If you've never watched the movie, the movie is based on Liliana Lavelle and the business she built, Coyote Ugly. And I worked at the second location she ever built in New Orleans, Louisiana. So she hired me and I learned all the dances. And I was there for about two years from the age of, I guess, 21 to 23, pretty pivotal moments of my life. And I loved it because I was coming from a small town in Louisiana. I was coming straight out of college, but I was from a small town in North Louisiana and I didn't know anything. And if Lil ever listens to this, I'm sorry I lied. I didn't know anything about bartending. I totally lied. I knew nothing. In fact, we went through like months of rehearsals before the doors opened, learning all the routines, et cetera. And I got one of the girls to take me to a liquor store to help me learn what the bottles looked like, because I didn't know what a bottle of Jack Daniels looked like. I didn't know what a bottle of tequila. Looked. I knew nothing, Elise. I was so green, but I just fibbed and said, oh yeah, I've been a bartender before. No. So it was so good for me because I think it taught me how to have my own voice. It taught me how to be really confident and really assertive in a way in which I just did not have that experience growing up in a small town. Like I just know I need, I needed that in order to get to the next stage of my life. So it was really empowering. And the girls that I worked with back then and the bonds we shared, I mean, to this day, some of my favorite stories ever, just like talk about girl power. Like it was it, it was it, it was great. Oh my gosh. I love it. Fake it till you make it. I love that you're like, okay, show me what Jack Daniels looks like so I can bartend at freaking Coyote Ugly. And luckily, you know, it's not like this anymore, but back then it was a pretty like biker bar. So we didn't have to make fancy cocktails. It was one drink with a mixer. That was it. So like a Jack and Coke or a vodka soda, but I still needed to know like what the bottles look like. Cause I mean, we're slinging drinks back there. I don't have time to be scanning the shelf to like find what you're asking for. Oh my God. So funny. I did some wild things. <laughs> what a concept. Like how many different dances would you have to learn? And like, you're up on the bar, right? Yeah, we had to learn. I think it was six, something like that. Devil went down to Georgia. There were, you know, I think it was about six dances. You know, you had to wear the jeans and the cowboy boots and we always just like cut up our t-shirts and, we had a lot of fun with kind of like costumey type stuff. I had a shirt that I made one time. There's photos of me still on the internet, but I had a shirt one time that was just a white wife beater. I guess I'd gotten frustrated <laughs> with some male customers. So I took a black Sharpie, I cut up this like white, you know, tank top from Kmart or Walmart. And I just wrote, not just a piece of ASS on the front of it. <laughs> and that was my shirt that I wore. <laughs> it was very popular, very popular. <laughs> So yeah, it gave me a voice and it really allowed me to stand up for myself and be a little bit more assertive. And I needed that. I left there and I moved to New York City. And oh my God, New York City would have eaten me alive if I had not had that experience. Mm. Do you still remember some of the dances? I do. 
Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you ever get me really drunk, I'll get up on a coffee table and show you the way at least. Okay. That's my mission for our next mini mastermind get together. Gonna learn some coyote <laughs> ugly dance moves from Tiffany. We'll put it on TikTok. <laughs> oh, go <girl>, great. <laughs> I love it. Well, Tiffany, I loved this conversation. Tell me what do you have coming up? What are some things that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah. Oh gosh. Coming up. I'm about to launch a mastermind. So that's coming up. It's very exciting. And we're going on a retreat in the middle of that mastermind. And I'm just, I'm just excited to hold space for these 10 women and create that like what we had, right? And be able to watch those relationships continue on well past our six months together. So that's a momentous mastermind. It's on my website. And then I just launched my first journal collection, the BGA journal, and then just a here are your dreams journal. And those are also on my website. Okay. So I cannot wait to get the BGA journal in my hot little hands. Tell us what is BGA? How do you use this journal? And also for listeners, I'll be linking to both the mastermind and the journal in the show notes, and you can use code WTFAB10 for 10% off. But Tiffany, tell us how these journals work. Yeah. So the BGA journal came about because I was stuck in a rut where I was waking up in the morning and I'm sure you can relate at some point in time. I was waking up in the morning and I was getting stuck in the Instagram scroll vortex. And I was so frustrated with myself. I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm better than this. Like get out of bed, Tiffany. Like you've got things to do. You've got goals to achieve. And I don't really know what struck me, but I went through yoga teacher training years ago. And one of the methods they taught us for teaching was called breath posture movement. And it was just about cueing someone on the mat to go from one pose to the next in a really easy and seamless way that basically was setting them up for success, right? So I thought, okay, I need to move from my bed to my desk. How can I do that? And I came up with breath goal action. So it's pretty simple. It's something you can do in five minutes. I'm not a big like, I want you to wake up at 5 a.m. an hour earlier than you normally would. No, we ain't got time for that. So this is something that you can do in five minutes. It is a little breathing exercise. And then it's declaring your goal, declaring your action steps, and then immediately going into action. And it's really about making sure that you're not getting swept away in the long to-do list that doesn't really move the needle. It's making sure that you're checking in every morning with like, what's my real goal here? And am I on track or have I gotten off track? Have I let shiny object syndrome take me away? And then there's an evening check-in section at the bottom as well, just so that you can say, this is what I did. This is how I feel now. Or this was the success I experienced because I was so focused. Or you know what? I got pulled off track because of XYZ and that's okay. I'm going to try again tomorrow. So that's really what it is. And then the Here Are Your Dreams journal is just a blank journal. I'm a big journal girl. I journal almost every morning. So I wanted you to have a space to just also dump your ideas and your thoughts. So there's an accompanying blank journal as well. Awesome. I cannot wait to try the BGA method and to get your beautiful journal. So you all, I mean, definitely, if you are feeling like you're kind of at a a place in your business, maybe you're feeling a little bit stagnant, maybe you're feeling overwhelmed, like 99.9% of us are, I highly, highly encourage you to check out Tiffany's mastermind that she's kicking off in May. Again, I'll link to it in the show notes. I mean, when I think about 
the mastermind group that Tiffany and I were in, and then also just how we have continued with our own small group afterwards. Like it has no joke changed my life to be able to have these incredible women that I'm surrounded with that we, you know, text all the time, we check in, we get together in person. And it really is part of that like leveling up. And so if you're kind of feeling like, okay, things are moving along, but like, this isn't it. Like what's the next step? I definitely encourage you to check that out. So Tiffany, where can everyone find you and connect with you? Yeah. TiffanyNapper.com or on Instagram at TiffanyNapper. Those are the best two places to find me. Very active on Instagram. So come on over. Don't be shy. We can chat in the DMs. Awesome. Love it. Thank you so much for joining me, Tiffany. Elise, I could talk about this stuff with you all day. So thanks for having me. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a great conversation. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining me on the podcast. I just loved digging into all of these mindset tips and shifts and like specific strategies for money mindset or shifting your mindset to be open to bigger possibilities. I love the idea and the commonality that she has seen from working with the best of the best. I mean, the biggest and most talented musicians and creatives in the world. And just noticing that commonality that they all have, which is in their minds, their success was inevitable. Like that's, it was meant for them. It was going to happen and there was no doubt. And I am taking that with me. I am rolling with it. And I can't wait to hear how you are incorporating that into your own life and mindset as well. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and take a screenshot, share it on your Insta stories, tag Tiffany. She's at Tiffany Napper and me, I'm at WTFab. We would love to hear what you're biggest takeaways are, what you're doing to shift and improve and stretch your mindset as well. And be sure to hit subscribe. If you aren't already subscribed to the What the Fab podcast, I'd love to be in your ear each and every week. And with that, I'll see you next week. Bye.